Psalm 133 is a song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Okay, we have a sermon today coming from Exodus. It's verses, uh, chapter 26, verses 15 through 30. And uh, let's see here. Exodus 26, starting in the 15th verse. And for the tabernacle, you shall make the boards of acacia wood standing upright. Ten cubits shall be the length of a board, and a cubit and a half shall be the width of each board. Two tenons shall be in each board for binding one to another. Thus you shall make for all the boards of the tabernacle. And you shall make the boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side. You shall make 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards, two sockets under each of the boards for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, there shall be 20 boards. And there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards for the far side of the tabernacle westward. And you shall make six boards, and you shall also make two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle. They shall be coupled together at the bottom, and they shall be coupled together at the top by one ring. Thus it shall be for both of them. They shall be for the two corners. So there shall be eight boards with their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two sockets under each of the boards. And you shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and the five bars for the boards on the of the side of the tabernacle for the far side westward. The middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards from end to end. You shall overlay the boards with gold, make their rings of gold as holders for the bars, and overlay the bars with gold. And you shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern, which you were shown on the mountain. If you like numbers and their biblical meanings, you'll probably love today's sermon. And if not, I do have spare pillows under the pulpit for you to use. So feel free to come and get one. Personally, the uh, details of the sermon in this particular sermon nearly broke my brain. I honestly struggled hour after hour trying to understand each word and each verse, which even the finest biblical scholars throughout all of the ages have had a lot of trouble with. Some of the Hebrew is obscure, and no one can be dogmatic about what the items we will examine actually looked like when they were fashioned and put together. In other words, we can only speculate as to what the finished product looked like in some areas. However, the details are sufficient for us to know what is being pictured, even if we can't know what the edifice actually looked like in a back corner or on a sideboard. And what is being pictured is exactly what has been seen in countless other passages so far in the Bible. Jesus Christ and his work. Every detail points to him. Something amazing in and of itself. But what is fascinating to me is that this tabernacle was really built. And it was used for hundreds of years. And yet the people had no idea what each detail signified. Only in the coming of Christ can we know these things. The tabernacle has wooden bars. Benjamin... Bring me the next bar. The tabernacle has a menorah. That goes over there on the south side, Eldad. The tabernacle has silver sockets under the side boards. Line them up this way, men. They erected the thing. 
They disassembled it and they moved it to another location and then they re-erected it. And yet none thought this socket of silver pictures the process of my redemption. How absolutely blessed we are to see these things and to know what they actually picture. Our text verse today comes from 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's verses 14 through 16. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Jesus Christ was manifested in the flesh. He came and dwelt among us, and he fulfilled every type, every shadow, and every picture which the Old Testament details. Numerous such types are found in today's 16 verses. As I said before, if you like the numbers, you should enjoy the sermon. But even if you don't, there should be plenty to keep you fascinated until we're through. So put your pillows away. Marvelous things lie ahead. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again and may God speak to us through his word today and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have three thoughts for you today. The first is upright boards and silver sockets. It's verses 15 through 21. Verse 15, and for the tabernacle, you shall make the boards of acacia wood. After the instructions for the tent, the instructions for the tabernacle now begin again. These details are given to show the support structure of the tabernacle. The first items of note are the boards of acacia wood. The word for boards, or keresh, is used for the first time here, and it's going to be used 51 times in the Old Testament. It is from an unused root, meaning to split off. It thus indicates a slab or a plank, and by implication, a bench or a board, or even the deck of a ship. Of the 51 uses in Scripture, all of them, but one are in Exodus and Numbers and refer to the boards for this tabernacle. The only other time is in Ezekiel 27, verse 6, and it will be used when speaking of the planks on a ship. There are plenty of theories as to their nature. Some see them as solid planks. Some see them as frames made of two long boards which were then joined together like a frame. If this were so, it would then allow the inner curtain to be seen from the outside. There's nothing to substantiate this view, but it is suggested because the size of the boards otherwise would have been from wood, from trees that were a knot of a size that were found in the Sinai Peninsula. However, there's nothing to suggest that the boards themselves weren't solid, but rather fitted from smaller pieces. One scholar sees this as probable based on the use of the one word which is found in Ezekiel 27, surmising that it means they are made of planks of wood joined together. Or it could be the trees of this size actually existed in the Sinai 3,500 years ago, and so the boards were solid of one piece of wood. No matter what, it is not how the wood is constructed, but it's the measurements of these boards on which the focus is given. Verse 15 continues, standing upright. The boards were to stand as they grew when they were trees. Thus they are as pillars. How will they stand upright is going to be explained in the verses to come. The tabernacle is a structure which was comprised of walls which supported it. All in all, one might wonder where the tools and workmanship necessary to make such boards would come from. But this is not a problem at all. The Israelites were workmen in Egypt. Many would have had tools for stone or for wood that they would have carried with them, anticipating the same type of labors when they arrived in Canaan. 
there would be more than enough people skilled in these tasks and with the tools able to accomplish them. Verse 16, 10 cubits shall be the length of a board, and a cubit and a half shall be the width of each board. If a cubit is approximately 1.5 feet, then these boards would be about 15 feet tall and about 27 inches wide. The thickness of them is surprisingly not specified. However, Josephus says that they were four fingers thick. So they'd be really big pieces of wood and they'd be very heavy and they'd take a lot of effort to put up. Verse 17, two tenons shall be in each board for binding one to another. The literal Hebrew here is completely different than the translation. It literally says, two hands to the boards, each one fitted, woman to sister. From this, the words of our English translations have to be deduced. The tenons, or literally hands, were most probably pieces of board which would extend from the bottom of it and would fit into the silver sockets to be mentioned in verse 19. Whether they were round dowels or whether they were square or rectangular pegs isn't stated. The word for binding is shalav, and it's used only two times in the Bible, here and in Exodus 36.22, speaking in exactly the same connotation. It comes from a root word which means to space off. Thus, we get the idea of equally distant pegs, which are set in order. These would be one to another, or literally woman to sister. Each would be arranged as if they were twins. If we think of the rungs on a ladder being equally spaced, we get a close mental picture of what's being described here. Verse 17 going on. Thus, you shall make for all the boards of the tabernacle. Every board of the wall was to be made in identical fashion so that they could be used in any spot along the wall. Verse 18, and you shall make the boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side. If 20 boards, which are 1.5 cubits wide, are placed side by side, then the length would be 30 cubits. Thus, it would be about 40 feet long. The term for south side is negba temana, south to right, thus south southward. The word southward is teman, and it's introduced into the Bible here. It comes from the same source as the word yamin, or right hand. The southward side is the one which is on the right when a person is facing east. This is the direction the tabernacle will be facing when it is finally constructed, facing the rising sun. As Josephus notes, it was the standard when speaking of the temple to identify the south side with the right hand and the north side with the left hand. The entrance was regarded as the face of the structure, and the west side would be at the far end. Why is this important? Because of what it pictures, and we're going to find that out in a couple weeks. As a point of contention with the crummy liberal scholars at Cambridge, I'd like to highlight their commentary on the words negba temana, or south-southward. Here's what they say. The Negev is a geographical term denoting the arid district in the south of Judah. As this district was on the south of Canaan, it became the most usual word in Hebrew for south. Its use in the Pentateuch, meaning the books of Moses, is an indication that this was written after Israel had lived long enough in Canaan for Negev to have acquired this sense. In other words, these dolts claim that because the word south is the Hebrew word Negev, which is the desert region in the south of Israel, that the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, were not written by Moses, but by someone much later who lived in the land of Israel. Never mind the fact that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all lived in Israel, and the term Negev is used seven times in Genesis. 
Thus, it would have become a word adapted by them hundreds of years earlier and incorporated into the Hebrew lexicon. Cambridge can shut up and sit down. Verse 19, you shall make 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards. Another new word comes into the Bible now, eden or sockets. It comes from the same root as adon, which means Lord. And so it gives the idea of strength and thus the basis of a building or a column or a foundation and so forth. In this case, it is sockets, which were the wall's foundation. If there are 20 boards and 40 sockets, then each board is supported by two sockets. This is seen as we continue. Verse 19 going on, two sockets under each of the boards for its two tenons. The original is more detailed than this translation here. Some translations give a word-for-word rendering by saying two sockets under one board for its two tenons and two sockets under another board for its two tenons. The New King James Version simply paraphrases it for brevity. Either way, the idea is understood. There were to be two sockets of silver under each board which corresponded to the two tenons or hands which protruded from the boards. In Exodus 30, we will see that each socket is made from a talent of silver, And thus, each would be of an unknown weight somewhere between 75 and 130 pounds. It's a lot of silver. If you add it all up, a lot of silver. Verse 20, then for the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, there shall be 20 boards. The Hebrew here reads, Hashinet lefat safon, the second side, north. The word for north also gives the idea of hidden or dark. As the northern quarter of the compass, it is gloomy and unknown. It is regarded as the less honorable side than the south, just as the left is considered less honorable than the right. This is probably because in the northern hemisphere, the sun illuminates the south more than the north. When the menorah is placed in the tabernacle, it is set in the south and thus against the north, illuminating that direction. The number of boards for this side will also be 20. Verse 21, and there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. Just as on the south, each of the 20 boards is to have two sockets of silver, totaling 40 in all. Again, as before in verse 19, the New King James Version paraphrases this instead of translating out the entire thought. However, their paraphrase is perfectly understandable. A pillar in the house of God, standing upright, redeemed by the Lord who died for me. I will stand in this house forever and behold the sight of the one who shines forth in resplendent glory. How can it be that he did everything and yet I am given access into his heavenly home? What a marvelous God on him my face is set. I will stand in this house forever. Never shall I roam. What a marvel. What a delight to know Jesus my Lord who by his grace has redeemed one such as me. Yes, on me mercy was granted and abundant grace was poured. I will stand in this house forever here by the glassy sea. Our second thought today is the West End verses 22 through 25. Verse 22, for the far side of the tabernacle westward, you shall make six boards. On the far side, which is to the west, there were to be six boards. The total length would be nine cubits or about 12 feet wide. The word for westward is yama from yam or sea. This comes from an unused root meaning to roar. In this, we get the idea of a sea roaring in noisy surf. Again, it is a direction which finds its home in the land of Canaan. The west of Canaan is the Mediterranean Sea. This doesn't mean that this was penned by some unknown person ages later, as the dolts at Cambridge again suggest. 
Instead, it shows that the term came from an earlier time period and was retained in the language, just as is the case with countless words in our own language. Verse 23, And you shall also make two boards for the back corners of the tabernacle. So far, we have been instructed to make 46 boards. Now, two final boards are requested. These will go in the back two corners of the tabernacle. Here is another uncommon word which is introduced into the Bible, nekutsah, or corner. It will be used just twice, here and in Exodus 36 again, at the construction of the tabernacle. It comes from the word katsah, which means to scrape, and thus it indicates an angle or a corner. In these two back corners, the final two boards, totaling 48 in all, will be placed. One scholar suggests that these boards are not the same as the other 46. Instead, he suggests that they are two planks joined together to form a V-shape. Others think these two boards will overlap the others. Either way, the boards serve a purpose by bringing the back of the wall to a length of 10 cubits. This is so because the Holy of Holies is to be a perfect cube of 10 by 10 by 10. This is not explicitly stated, but it is the pattern later for the temple and for the New Jerusalem, both of which are cubed. It is a logical deduction as well. It is also implicitly stated in later details that will be seen in the tabernacle's construction. Verse 24, they shall be coupled together at the bottom, and they shall be coupled together at the top by one ring. A few new words come in here. The word here for coupled is ta'am. It means twins. The idea is that they are to be as perfectly joined together as if they were twins. The bottom is mata, which signifies beneath or towards the bottom. The words in Hebrew here are so obscure that several possible meanings have been suggested. In the end, what is certain is that these two boards will complete the width of the tabernacle, making it 10 cubits, and that the corners will be strong enough and make a perfect connection to the two side walls and the back wall. Verse 24 going on, thus it shall be for both of them. They shall be for the two corners. Both of the corners will be identical so that the inside of the Holy of Holies will be perfectly finished and perfectly cubed. Verse 25, so there shall be eight boards with their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two sockets under each of the boards. What is clear from this is that the final two boards were to be considered as a part of the back wall, not the side walls. The total back wall consists of eight boards with 16 sockets of silver. In total, there are 48 boards and 96 sockets of silver for this structure. Concerning this back wall, the numbers are important. It is first described as having six boards. The number six is explained by E.W. Bollinger. Six is either four plus two, in other words, man's world, four, with man's enmity to God, two, brought in, or it is five plus one, the grace of God made of none effect by man's addition to it or perversion or corruption of it. Or it is seven minus one. For example, man's coming short of spiritual perfection. In any case, therefore, it has to do with man. It is the number of imperfection, the human number, the number of man as destitute of God, without God, without Christ. However, two boards are added to the six to make eight. Again, Bollinger describes the number. In Hebrew, the number eight is shimone, from the root word shamein, to make fat or to cover with fat or to superabound. As a participle, it means one who abounds in strength, etc. As a noun, it is a superabundant fertility, 
oil, etc. So that as a numeral, it is the superabundant number. As seven was so called because of the seventh day was the day of completion and rest. So eight, as the eighth day, was over and above this perfect completion and was indeed the first of a new series as well as, the, as, well as being the eighth. The precise giving of the numbers here is not without significance. Each thing presented is to show us a portion of redemptive history as it is brought to us through the work of Jesus Christ. My travel is to the west to find a new home. My father before me was set out to the east, but my face is set on this. No other way shall I roam. I'm looking for fellowship and a glorious place to feast. But I know that my travels are not dependent on me. Instead, my walk is one of faith in what another has done. I'm heading to the east because another has set me free. And through his shed blood, my safe passage is won. What kind of God is this to favor one such as me? I was heading east like all my fathers had done, but he called out my name in a manner soft, so tenderly, and said, come back home, my son. In me, the victory is won. Our third thought today is from beginning to end. It's verses 26 through 30. Verse 26, and you shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle. Now a new implement is instructed for us to make, the bariach, or bar. This word comes from the verb barach, which means to go through. They will be used to hold the walls firmly together and are made of the same wood as the rest of the tabernacle and its furniture, shittim. Five are required for the first side. Verse 27, five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the boards of the side of the tabernacle for the far side westward. Like the first side, the other two sides will also have five bars each. It is probable that these bars were placed on the outside of the boards. In total, there are to be 15 bars. Bullinger tells us the meaning of the number 15. Five is, as we have seen, the number of grace, and three is the number of divine perfection. Fifteen, therefore, specifically refers to acts wrought by the energy of divine grace. Verse 28, the middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards from end to end. The middle bar is said to be one solid bar. Therefore, the one on each side was to be 30 cubits long, and the one on the back was to be 10 cubits long. The bar was to be passed through the rings at the midpoint of the bars. The length of the other four on each side is surprisingly not given. It can be assumed that there were three rows of bars on each side. The bars on the top row and the bottom row would each run halfway together and they would span the entire distance. However, this is only speculation. Verse 29, you shall overlay the boards with gold, make their rings of gold as holders for the bars and overlay the bars with gold. Like all of the wooden furniture, these boards and bars were to be completely covered with an overlay of gold. The rings themselves were to be solid gold. The bars would go through the rings to hold the entire tabernacle together as one solid structure. Verse 30 finishes our verses today. And you shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern which you were shown on the mountain. This is the third time that Moses has been told that he is to complete the thing prescribed according to the pattern that he has shown on the mountain. Nothing is being left to chance, and every single detail is to be precisely completed. Therefore, none of this is according to human wisdom or design, but rather it is divinely inspired. Further, the repetition in these words implies that there are many details which are not recorded. 
but of which Moses was made aware of. Because of this, that which is recorded is given for our benefit and to understand what is on the mind of God in what is presented. And so let's evaluate these verses in hopes of finding out what he wants us to see. We were first told of the boards for the tabernacle. Each is 10 by 1.5 cubits or 15 cubits. As we saw, 15 is defined this way. Five is the number of grace and three is the number of divine perfection. 15, therefore, specifically refers to acts wrought by the energy of divine grace. Each board is a picture of the divine grace of God in Christ. The boards are of shittim wood and gold, just as the rest of the furniture that we have seen. This then points to Jesus' human and divine natures. The wood is his humanity, which is incorruptible, just as shittim is an uncorruptible wood. The gold reflects his divinity, purity, holiness, etc. The overlay, or tzafa, is identical to another word, which means to look out, to look about, to spy, or to keep watch. Thus, his divine nature is what watches over his subjects, keeping an eye on them. The gold, therefore, not only pictures his divine nature, but it is also a picture of his royal, kingly status. One who has subjects is the ruler of those subjects. And finally, the gold is the standard by which the value of all other things is set. Therefore, he is the standard by which all other things are compared to. The instruction for these boards is that they are to be standing upright. The picture we are to get here is one of life. Just as the trees grew up in life, so this life is to be pictured in the way the boards are to be positioned. It is reminiscent of the tree of life and access to it. This is what the work of Jesus Christ provides through his life. In total, there are 48 boards. However, on each side, there are 20 boards, and on the back, there are eight. The number 20 in Scripture points to expectancy, and the number eight, as I already explained, is the superabundant number and points to new beginnings. The 20 boards on the sides lead in expectation to the new beginnings where there is superabundance. In picture, as one moves from east to west, this is what is expected, and it perfectly pictures the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf from beginning until the end. However, there is more. Each side points to expectation, but the sides together form 40 boards. 40 points to a period of probation, trial, and chastisement, but not judgment. 40 is the product of five and eight and points to the action of grace leading to and ending in revival and renewal. And isn't this exactly what we see in the process of redemptive history? Christ moved through a period of probation, trial, and chastisement, but not judgment, at least not for his own sins, for he had none. At the end of his work, which was a work of grace, came revival and renewal. The symbolism is perfect. Next, these 40 boards lead directly to the eight in the rear, and again, they perfectly follow through in a representation of the work of Christ. The boards are eight, but they are noted separately as six and two. Six is the number of man, and two is the number of difference or division. In the six boards and two boards, which are coupled together, we see the work of Christ the man who has come to replace the work of Adam. Adam was cast out of Eden to the east. Christ is the one to restore man to God's paradise as we travel once again to the west. G. Sotol notes this. He says, the boards and bars have the same relation to the tabernacle itself as the truth contained in the first two chapters of the epistle to the Hebrews. 
Now listen to what he says, because they match perfectly. The first two chapters of the epistle to the Hebrews has to the rest of the epistle. In the first two chapters, the great foundations of faith are laid. And that's what we're looking at right now, the foundations of the tabernacle. The Lord Jesus Christ is presented to us as the Son, the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person, God the Creator, the sustainer of all things. He is also presented to us as the Son of Man. Think of the wood. It's his humanity. Think of the gold. It's his divinity. So the first two chapters of Hebrew are, Hebrews are matching what we're seeing in the construction of this tabernacle. He goes on, the Son of Man, partaker of flesh and blood in order to die, the firstborn from the dead, all things put under him, anointed above his fellows, not ashamed to call them brethren. On these great truths respecting Christ depend all of the other great verities connected with the value of his sacrifice, the glory and power of his priesthood, the eternal salvation, the eternal redemption, and the eternal inheritance which are obtained for us by his blood. After the boards, there are noted two tenons or hands on each board. Thus, the boards, each picturing Christ, have hands as their support. Hands are what keep them secure and immovable, and divine hands upheld him as well. He was upheld by the Father throughout his life and ministry. This is seen, for example, in the 80th Psalm. It says, let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the Son of Man whom you made strong for yourself. Again, in the 31st Psalm, which is a messianic psalm, we read this, my times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. And of course, on the cross, we read the words of the Lord, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And as the tabernacle is only a shadow of that which is in heaven, we have a heavenly fulfillment of Christ's work when he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, Hebrews 1.3. The next things that are detailed are the sockets of silver. Silver or kaseph in the Bible signifies redemption. In fact, the silver for these sockets actually comes from the redemption money for the lives of the people of Israel. This is seen first in Exodus chapter 30 with these words. When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary, a shekel is 20 geras. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. This very money, which was used for their ransom, their redemption, was then instructed to be used for the silver sockets of the tabernacle. Here's what it says in Exodus 38. And the silver from those who were numbered of the congregation was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A beka for each man, that is half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. For everyone included in the numbering from 20 years old and above, for 603,550 men. And from the 100, 100 talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil. 100 sockets from the 100 talents. 100 talent for each socket. One talent for each socket. Silver or kasef comes from another word, kasaf, which means to be eager or to long for. Thus we have a hidden pun from Paul's hand concerning redemption and are longing for it. He says in Romans 8, 23, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Paul is writing a pun based on the structure of the tabernacle itself. Our redemption is something that we eagerly await as we long to be filled with the resplendent glory of the Lord. 
from the fall of man onward, the expectancy of the work of Christ is pictured in the redemption of man. And that redemptive process is the foundation of the work of Christ. Paul explicitly says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says Christ is the foundation of the gospel. The bars of the tabernacle are noted next. They are shittim wood covered in gold, and they carry the same signification as the other times these materials are seen, the two natures of Christ. There are five on each side, five being the number of grace. Thus, the tabernacle is surrounded on all sides by grace. It is that which alone can provide a return to the spot where man may once again fellowship with God. As there are three sides with five bars, they total 15. So again, I'll explain the number of 15 to you. Five is, as we have seen, the number of grace, and three is the number of divine perfection. Fifteen, therefore, specifically refers to acts wrought by the energy of divine grace. In other words, it is exactly what the New Testament speaks of concerning Jesus Christ. His works for us are wrought by the energy of divine grace. It is what binds the entire tabernacle together. But what is just as exceptional is that we can deduce that there are three rows of bars on each side. Three stands for that which is solid, real, substantial, complete, and entire. In these three rows, the one bar in the middle of the boards runs the entire length of the tabernacle from one end to the other. As the tabernacle is a picture of what makes our return to God's paradise possible, then the five bars picture divine grace. The three sets picture that which is complete, and the one bar pictures the unbroken nature of the work of Jesus Christ from beginning to end in this process of redemption. It is God in Christ working from the start to the finish without change or interruption. That there are two identical bars, one on each side that spans the entire length of the tabernacle, then pictures the full redemption by Christ of both Jew and Gentile. From beginning to end, his works are sufficient for all. Also seen in this passage are the rings. For the bars, they were to be of gold, but no number of them is given. They, as in previous passages, carry the idea of authority. Both instances of rings being mentioned in verse 24 and verse 29 are given to show us Christ's authority, which binds the tabernacle together as one. As the tabernacle pictures the entire process of redemption, the rings show his absolute authority in the entire redemptive process. Having now evaluated all of these items, we should take one more moment to look at the overall significance of the structure as outlined in this passage. Everything concerning the tabernacle is related to the edifice which has been described. Without these boards, rods, sockets, and rings, there would be no tent to keep this magnificent furniture in. Thus, there would be no place for the priests to minister. Likewise, without this structural support, there would be no way for the curtains and the several layers of coverings to be held up. The weight of them could not be otherwise supported. Everything about the tabernacle is dependent on this structure, which is comprised of 48 boards, 96 sockets, and 15 bars to house and support and uphold the work of Christ. In Isaiah chapter 22, a person named Eliakim was given as a picture of Jesus Christ to come. All of the glory of the house of David was said to rest on him. Here's that passage. Then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe, and I will strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. 
The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place, and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. They will hang on him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and posterity, all vessels of small quantity from the cups to all the pitchers. Like Eliakim, bearing the weight of the government of the house of David, Jesus, as pictured in this tabernacle, bears all the weight and glory of his father's house. This is pictured in the structure here. 48 is the product of both 6 and 8 and 5 and 12, I'm sorry, 4 and 12. 96 is the product of 12 and 8 and 15 is the product of 3 and 5. 6 is man, 8 is new beginnings, 4 is the number of the created order, 12 is perfection of government, 3 is divine perfection, and 5 is grace. Thus, this passage can be summed up in Charlie Garrett's little sentence here, the entire passage concerning this tabernacle. Christ, the second man who replaces Adam. He is the one who provides a new beginning through his superabundance and whose claims on the government of the earth are realized in his divine perfection and through his grace. All of this together might seem a bit overwhelming, but the message of the tabernacle is that man was cast to the east of Eden, where cherubim were placed to restrict access to that marvelous place where man once fellowshiped with God. The tabernacle is a picture of Jesus Christ allowing us once again to have restored access. The wood, gold, and silver simply, this structure simply points to Christ in the process of redemption of fallen man and the granting of that access through him. This has been seen and it will continue to be seen as the details for the tabernacle continue to be laid out before us. It is all about Jesus Christ who reveals to us God's love. In the giving of Christ, we can once again go to the place where our Heavenly Father awaits us. And if you would like to have a guarantee of that access today, let me tell you just a couple more words to help guide you home to Him. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of the expectations of humanity since the very beginning. Man has corrupted those expectations, and we've made up our own religions. We've made up our own divine paths of getting back to God, and God rejects those things. Instead, he has chosen a plan of salvation. The world doesn't like this today. They don't like to hear that there's one path to God. But God is God. Let every man, let God be true and every man be a liar. But God is God. And he has said that I will reveal myself through Jesus Christ. And so he gave us all of these pictures of the Old Testament to show us this. To say, I love you enough to step out of the eternal realm and to unite with human flesh in the womb of a woman and to make a bridge back to me infinite me where you can't fellowship with and finite you who is here and completely separated from me because you're going this way in time your sin has been committed here and you can't go back and undo it but Jesus Christ can because he's the God man and so in his entry into humanity he was born of God and of a woman he is the God man he was born under the law the law that God gave to show us his standard for all people on earth all of us will be judged according to the standard of the law and he lived that law perfectly, and then he gave his life up in exchange for our sins. And so if we want to call on Jesus Christ, we are judged according to the law fulfilled by Christ. And if we don't want to call on Jesus, then we are judged according to the law based on our own life under that law. And you can never meet that law. If you've ever told one, one lie, that's broken the entire law. But even worse, you're already a condemned sinner because you were born in iniquity. 
You were sinful from birth, according to the Bible, because sin travels through the Father. That's why Jesus Christ had to come. He had no human father. He had a heavenly father. So sin wasn't transferred to him. And that perfect life was given up for our sins. The wages of sin is death. We all die because of the sin that we bear. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you have never asked Jesus to simply forgive you of your sins, do it today. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead because if he raised him from the dead, it proves that he had no sin of his own because the wages of sin is death. Death couldn't hold him. He had no sin and therefore he had to come out of the grave. Hallelujah to Jesus Christ who prevailed over that. All pictured in this ongoing series of the tabernacle. Like I said a couple weeks ago, he spent a chapter and maybe a little bit more in Genesis detailing the creation of all things, everything in the whole universe. And yet he's spending chapter after chapter after chapter longer than that first chapter of Genesis to show us pictures of his own son in a form that we can understand and that we can appreciate. Please don't neglect calling on Jesus Christ. Now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. I have a closing verse to you today from Psalm 84. It's verses 1 and 2. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Wonderful, huh? Next week, I've got a break from Exodus for you, okay? We're going to go into two kings for a week, and I'm going to do this from time to time, just so you don't get jaded by the repetition. So, we have a break from Exodus, but after this, we will turn there again. It's entitled, Healed Waters and Cursed Children, okay? The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if a deep ocean lies ahead of you, he can part the waters, and he can lead you through it on dry ground. So follow him and trust him, and he'll do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Our poem today is called A Sure Foundation and a Steady Frame. And for the tabernacle you shall make the boards of acacia wood standing upright according to my words. Ten cubits shall the length of a board be, and a cubit and a half shall be the width of each board, you see. Two tenons shall be in each board for binding one to another a challenge to tackle. Thus you shall make for all the boards of the tabernacle. And you shall for the tabernacle the boards make 20 boards for the south side. This you shall undertake. You shall make 40 sockets of silver according to my words under the 20 boards, two sockets for its two tenons under each of the boards. And for the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, there shall be 20 boards, you see, and there 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards, thus it shall be. For the far side of the tabernacle westward, you shall make six boards according to my word. And you shall make two boards also for the two back corners of the tabernacle. This is where they are to go. They shall be coupled together at the bottom. They shall be coupled together at the top by one ring. Thus it shall be for both of them. They shall be for the two corners. So you shall complete this thing. So there shall be eight boards with their sockets of silver, sockets numbering 16, two sockets under each of the boards, do this according to the pattern you have seen. And you shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the bars on one side of the tabernacle. Let this be understood. Five bars for the bo boards on the other side of the tabernacle too, and five bars for the boards on the side of the tabernacle. For the far side westward, so you shall do. The middle bars shall pass through as I intend, the midst of the boards from end to end. You shall overlay the boards with gold, make their rings of gold as holders for the bars, and overlay the bars with gold to you as I have told. 
and you shall raise up the tabernacle as is now known, according to its pattern which on the mountain you were shown. O God, how marvelous are your ways! How wonderful is the great plan you have revealed to us! We shall exalt you forever, even for eternal days, for what you have done through your Son, Jesus. Hallelujah to Christ our Lord. Hallelujah to the one who has been there all along. Reveal to us in your precious word to the one who fills our hearts with song. Yes, we praise you, O God, our King, and to you forever our praises we shall sing. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for getting me through that poem. What a tongue twister. It is so wonderful to see these words. It is so wonderful to see what they picture, and it is so marvelous to see that they picture Jesus again and again and again and again you keep showing us pictures of what he would do for us so that we won't miss it when he comes and lord i have a burden on my heart today as i do every day of my life for the people that just decidedly miss this jehovah's witnesses that deny who you are we have the mormons who corrupt who you are we have uh, just cults all over the world that just refuse to bow the knee to the fact that jesus christ is lord and then we have those that accept that premise, but then they say that we're back under the law. We need to observe something that this pictured only. It only pictured what Christ had done, and it's fulfilled in him. And so we set aside the grace which is covering the entire tabernacle, your work. And we seek, set about seeking our own righteousness. Lord, open the eyes of the people that want to pursue you to the truth of who you are. It's hard work. It's difficult. But give them the desire, the burning the desire to know that you are who you said you are, that you would do what you said you would do, and to set us free from the bondage of things like the law and the bondage of being in a religion which can never save. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We do pray for the people mentioned earlier in the service that uh, some are traveling, some are dying, some are struggling with things. Lord, you know each and every one of them. We would pray for them. We would pray that you would be with them and also be with each person here today as they go about their own uh, Uh, way after the service keep them free from harm keep them free from troubles and trials and bless each one of them according to the riches of your wisdom wisdom bless them O god we love you and we praise you and we exalt you in jesus name amen we get the instruction for the lord's supper directly from the bible 1 corinthians chapter 11 and uh, I only add in the prayer that Jesus would have said over these things. Other than that, it's right out of the Bible, where Paul wrote these words. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and he would have given thanks over it. He would have said, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, Elech haolam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper as well, and he would have blessed this. He would have said, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech haolam, Borei Peri Hagafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all you've done for us. We thank you for what Christ did for us on the cross, and how we are reconciled to you through that deed, and we're so thankful for it. Help us not to ever try to earn our way to heaven, but to just rely on the grace of Christ alone how good you are to us. And we love you and we praise you and we, we exalt you because of him and in his name. Amen. Amen.